0: So I need uh, I need your help to help settle a debate um, in our house, and uh, maybe uh, maybe for all mankind, we can do it just now. Um, so the the first choice you get is colored lights or white lights on the tree. Colored lights or white lights on the tree. Everyone in favor of colored lights, raise your hand. Okay. So that leaves the rest of you with white lights, right? Raise your hand, white lights. okay, yeah. That's, a, that's actually a pretty decent split. That's like a 50-50. Now, here's the second, the second question that goes with that is this. Uh, the big bulbs, like the big C9 bulbs, are the tiny little twinkle lights. How many say, big bulbs? Raise your hand. No. OK, I'm personally a big bulb guy. But OK, so the of the rest of you are twinkle lights. And it's spread 50-50 uh, between uh, colored and white. So I'll, um, I'll let that go for now. We can sell that later. But So um, here's, the, here's the thing. Uh, Do you know why we light Christmas trees? Uh, It seems to be, you know, well, because it makes it pretty or something like that. But you're actually doing something that uh, it carries on, uh, it has meaning in it more than just, well, it makes it pretty because I like the way the white lights look or I like the way the, the colored lights look. Because we're putting light on the thing that is life and it's in the shortest, darkest months of the year in the cold and we have this evergreen tree that we killed but allegedly still alive, right, still got life looking in it, and so we, we put the light on that to remind us that that's where light and life comes from. Now, we have a tradition for our, our family uh, where we go and we pick out a tree uh, out of the real forest, and we chop that thing down, which has led to some, some pretty amazing stories. Sometimes the tree was too big for the, the car. Sometimes the tree was too big for the house. Sometimes the, the tree fell off the car. Uh, we've been way too high, hiking waist-deep snow, and uh, sometimes the, the tree fell over in our tree stand. And uh, so we've had all kinds of adventures because we've been picking out this tree. Um, but I, I read a statistic this week that, um, that there are more trees on the planet than there are stars in the Milky Way galaxy. That means there's, there's trillions of trees in, on, on the planet. Now, just think about this for a second. So we go up every December and uh, we go hunting for right, the right tree. And so we, we look for and then we, we kind of rotate. So each one of the kids gets to pick who gets the tree this year. And so whatever, whatever their means are that they're using to discern that, uh, usually they must think that our house is much bigger, much bigger than it is. But um, here's the deal. They're looking, and amongst all the trees, they're trying to find the one right tree. And uh, so that got me thinking about this prophecy of Isaiah. And Isaiah in uh, chapter 11 Verse one, we're going to resolve where I kind of introduced last week, which was the stump and, and then what comes from the stump. And so when we, when we sing all these songs at Christmas, um, you know more theology than you think you do. Uh, I, don't think you need, I don't think you need one new little nuance to make Christmas meaningful. I don't think you need one little new bit of information. I think you need the meaning behind the information that you already know. Like all of the story that was just recited there, um, whether you know it or not, it's, it's, it's putting um, fill-in-the-blank bookends and periods on all this Old Testament prophecy that is coming to fulfillment in Christ. And this songs that we just sang are so full of pr- prophetic, ph- prophetic fulfillment that uh, the, the key for t- today is um, I want to focus on Isaiah's prophecy in, um, in chapter 11. And it, uh, it simply says this. There shall come... Forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Shall come forth fruit from this stump that was dead and lifeless, that had been that way for quite a while. Now, when Isaiah wrote this prophecy, it was some 700 years before Jesus came, but it really did get fulfilled before Jesus. Isaiah wrote this amidst David's line still being intact, and uh, the, the the kingdom was still intact. But then they were defeated by Assyria. And then the southern kingdom was defeated by Babylon, and they were taken into captivity. And what Isaiah's meaning to do in the midst of this, before the tree ever gets cut off, is to give some identifying features of how we would know when God is bringing redemption to his people. How he's bringing life and hope and truth out of judgment. And so that's what I think we need to to wrap our arms around in terms of meaning today. So here's the deal. Everyone expected a Messiah to come from the line of David. That was like a given. Everybody knew that it had to come from the line of David. That was for a few reasons, but primarily uh, the first reason is that because God had given David a promise while he was king. In Psalm 89, uh, verse 3, it says this, that from, uh, I make a covenant with you and your house, that from your um, generations, you will always have someone to sit on the throne. And so everyone knew that David being the greatest king would, would somehow, uh, God would redeem his line and there would be a king that would rule over Israel in the same way that that David had, but even better. And so they were looking for this king to come and to, to, to be David 2.0, to be David and, 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 and do the, the military thing and, and defeat Israel's foes and bring peace to the people and prosperity. And we kind of like the idea that David's, you know, kind of a, he's a man's man, but then he's also got like a softer side and that was cool too. And he, he defeated a giant even when he was a little boy. And, and so David uh, being the expected prototype of this king was Sort of everybody's idea of, of what was to come, and so they were kind of looking for that. How was David's line going to be resurrected? Well, there was a problem because David's line had been cut off. That's what Isaiah is talking about. That there will be a stump that was created from this great tree, from the great house of David, and from the lineage of Israel. There would be a stump that was created because this kingdom would be defeated. And um, the last thing that the last king in David's line sees is his children being killed. King Zedekiah. His, his family's brought before him, they're killed in front of him, and then they gouge out his eyes, and they take him to Babylon, where he sits in a prison for the rest of his life. So the last thing that he sees at the end of his line. And so now there's this mystery, how will God possibly bring life from a stump, from something that, that uh, won't, won't produce fruit anymore? And, and so that's kind of where we're left in this leeway here of 700 years or so. So here's the curious thing about Isaiah's prophecy. He says, there shall come forth a shoot from this stump. And if and everybody's expecting this shoot to come from the line of David. And, and um, Isaiah does a, an interesting thing is that he says he will come from the stump of Jesse. He doesn't say David. So he, he kind of rewinds back. He, he, he zooms out our perspective just slightly enough so that we will think of Jesse instead of David when he says that there will be a, a shoot from this stump. And so you got to ask, why would, why would he do such a thing? Well, here's the thing. The first um, kind of uh, qualifier for Jesus that we know that he's the Messiah was um, that he's in the line of David. And so, two Gospels. Matthew starts with a genealogy straight out of the gate. It, it's, it gives a genealogy so to establish Jesus in the line of David. And Luke does the same thing. He does it in chapter three of his Gospel, but he establishes Jesus from both sides. So, in Mary's line through flesh and blood, Jesus is in the line of David and through Joseph, through marriage, and because he belongs to him, he's through the filial line, if you want to say it that way. Jesus is also in the line of David. So it's interesting then that it says from the stump of Jesse that Jesus, would, or that, that this shoot would come. Well, here's the thing. Jesus isn't the only one that would ever be in the line of David that could possibly meet these qualifications. Jesus had two other brothers. He had Jude and, and he had uh, James. And so they both could have fit this description of somebody that was, you know, they, they both married. Mary and Joseph married, and, and they had brought forth some, some uh, life through um, the right line. And so the question is, what's underneath that that would bring life, that would qualify Jesus as something different than what those two would be? Well, I think the first thing you need to um, know is, how is it that, J- that David actually became king? The key here is that the son of Jesse is the title that David has before he's King David. He's just a a little shepherd boy. And so if you think with me for just a moment, um, Israel is kind of this new fledgling nation and they've got some land and they've got a kingdom. And they say, we want a king just like all the other nations. And um, God knows that this isn't right for them, but they choose a king, King Saul. And they choose King Saul based on, all the, all the right human qualifications. He was taller than everybody else. He looked good. He, he had all the right stuff. And so they said, we want Saul to be our king. And so they appointed Saul king. Well, what we find out is that Saul's not a very good king because Saul likes Saul and Saul did what Saul wanted to do. And so God eventually takes the kingdom from Saul. He removes his anointing and his spirit and he tells the prophet Samuel to go to Jesse. And he said, one of his sons is going to, Need, uh, is going to be anointed to be king and so uh, Samuel does this he goes he goes he finds Jesse and Jesse brings these seven sons that he has and he marches them all before Samuel and Samuel says, no this isn't him this isn't him this isn't him and then after he's like is, are you sure that this is everybody that you have and he's like well there's David but nobody likes David right David's just the little shepherd boy he's the youngest in the line and, and he's tending sheep and he says you bring him in and as you know, the story, that David ends up being anointed as the king of Israel. But he doesn't take the throne right away. In fact, uh, for, for quite a while, he, he kind of plays second fiddle. And even at times, his life is threatened by King Saul. This plays out again in a greater way in Jesus' story. But just rewind for a second. Because Jesus is not, um, or excuse me, David is not king by, by, by birth. He, he's, not, he's not king because he earned it. He's not even in the right position in the family line to, to be king, Jesse doesn't have any royalty in him. He's king by anointing. He's king by promise. David is anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the king of Israel. And the reason why he does this is because we're told that he would be a, a king that would rule with the heart of God, or he was a man that would rule with God's heart. And so here's the thing: when we, when we ask the question, why does it, why does Isaiah say? the line of um, Jesse or the stump of Jesse. He wants you to see that the king that will come is not going to be coming from the the kind of uh, qualifications that we generally think of. He comes from a different source, a different place, a different root. And so we kind of have this cyclical thing happening. David is not king by birth. David is not king by merit. He's not king by title, not by status or name. He didn't purchase any rights to royalty. He was selected by promise which makes him in distinction to Saul, who was selected by man, if you want to think about that, the the ideas of of man. And so he's essentially a king by grace, if you want to think about it that way. Well, in Matthew uh, 22, later on in Jesus' life, Jesus is asking this question, because since everybody knows that there will be a a king in the line of David, and... um, and David was promised to have uh, uh, somebody to rule on his throne throughout all the generations, Jesus asked the Pharisees a question. The Pharisees were experts at all of these kinds of questions. And so he asked them, What do you think about the Christ? That's the Messiah. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, He's the son of David. See, they answered rightly. They knew that the Christ had to come because he had to be one of David's sons. He had to be in, in David's line somehow or another. So then Jesus said, well, how is it then that David in the spirit, that means writing scripture, how is it then that David calls him Lord? If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? So Jesus essentially asks this, how can, how can the son be greater than the father? How can, how can the shoot be better than the stump is essentially the question. And the reason why he asked this question is because they're expecting it to be like for like. That it should come forth, that the same thing should come out that's always come out. We're expecting him in the line of David. And David wrote this in a psalm. And he says, he says, unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all of your enemies a footstool. And so he's asking, how is this, how is it that David's son would be called Lord and afforded this title? How can the son be greater than the father? And they didn't answer, they didn't have an answer for that. And then it says after that, nobody even dared to ask him a question because he asked such a hard question that they didn't have a resolution for so here's, the, here's the, the idea behind this, that the life didn't actually come from the stump, right? It never does. Life doesn't come from the stump, it comes from the root, right? He says, from the stump of Jesse, which represents his promise, this line, not, not by right, not by merit, but something else beneath that, which is the roots. The roots are what give and support life of any tree. The branch can only be greater than the tree or greater than the stump that it came from if it has a different source and a different root and a different place, And so in Revelation 22, when Jesus is writing to the churches, he says this, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. And so he puts himself at both ends. He says, I'm the one that's underneath and I'm on top. I'm the source of life and I'm the life that's given. He says, I'm both and. So the question of how can the son be greater than the father is because it comes from a different source, but it's the same stump. So it's like the same kind of thing, but it's different. It's even better. It has, uh, it's, it's, it's to that degree and then even more because its root itself is God. And so Jesus kind of completes this, this whole cycle. The spiritual root of David's kingship is not merit but promise. It's grace that he's anointed and by the Holy Spirit. And only a miracle then could, could bring life from this lifeless Uh, thing this this stump that was supposed to continue and how would we know how can we qualify it well it's going to be a different kind of life it won't be something that's earned see when Jesus came into the world he was his life was threatened by Herod we sang about it in a few different of the songs but you know when um, the wise men arrive and they ask where is he who is born king of the Jews you don't say that to another king because he's king and you say, somebody else is king? This baby that's just born? So he's, he's immediately threatened. It's, it's one kingdom versus another. And so we have this life that's come by promise and by grace and by the Holy Spirit. But it's got a different root. And, and it's, it's a different root because it's not in man. See, Joseph was, was Jesus' father, but he wasn't his father. father. When Mary found out that she was going to have this son who's going to be called Savior of the world, she said, how, how can this be? I've never been with a man. I'm not married. And um, she's told by the angel Gabriel that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and it, you will conceive from the Holy Spirit. And so the source of Christ is Christ and he's holy and he produces what comes forth, this shoot. So here's the deal. The shoot and the root are God because he's the source and what's produced. And so only through a miracle of life, why, like the Holy Spirit may be coming on a virgin and, and producing life in her. And so Jesus was conceived and he's brought forth now David prefigured Jesus in a lot of ways, but the, the, the distinction here needs to be made that Jesus is not a king in the line of David. David prefigured Jesus. David is a line in the king of, uh, uh, David is a king in the line of Jesus, more appropriately thought of. Because David didn't earn that. He didn't, he didn't have it. It's not like he needed Jesus, or he needed David to be called king. so um, he's, he comes, but he, he qualifies to fulfill the scriptures as David's descendant. So Jesus comes, and um, as his life is sought, because Herod was threatened by this new-born um, king, and he, he searches for him, and we find out um, that his family escapes down into Egypt. And, and they, they stay there for a time until King Herod dies, and, and then they, they come back. And, and this plays uh, out in the same way uh, in David's life. When, when David was, his life was sought by, by Saul, he escapes into the wilderness, and he has actually an opportunity to, to kill Saul. He doesn't take it, and, and eventually he, he gets the kingdom um, uh, by, by God giving it to him, not because he, he needed to take it. But eventually, what happens is um, Jesus is brought by his family out of Egypt, and, it, and Matthew says this was to fulfill the scripture that said, out of Egypt, I, I called my son which happened. It really did happen. The first time out of Egypt, God called Israel as a nation and, and he rescued them. But um, Matthew's using this like, again, he, he kind of redeems it and he says, look, that happened, but this is the greater picture of it, that out of Egypt, I, I called my real true son, who is Jesus. And so he's rescued out of Egypt. But then the last part of this, we have that Jesus is a different source, is a different root. He is both the root and the shoot. He's from promise, not from merit. He's, he's from the Holy Spirit, not from uh, man made. But um, there's one more qualification. It says this, and uh, that Jesus, that, well, actually, his, the He here is Joseph. And He went and He lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. That he would be called uh, Nazarene. So, if you search through Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all the all the Old Testament prophets, you can look and look and look, and you just won't find any place where it says that the Messiah would come and that he would live in Nazareth. It wasn't even a town, actually. And so, we have this weird reference where Matthew says that he's going to to be uh, called a Nazarene. This was to fulfill what the prophets were, were speaking of. And so if you search for it, you, you wouldn't find it. And so what is it that's being being called out here? It's being called back from Isaiah. When Isaiah says, from the stump and from the root of Jesse shall come forth a branch, it's actually um, this specific word in Hebrew that means branch. And it's netzar. Netzar. Netsar or Netsar. Two different roots, same three letters, N, T, Z, or Z, R. And they literally mean just, just a branch. A, a shoot has to do with the greenness, something that, that's come up new. It's, it's a new sprout of life. And, and you could hear in the word when I say it, Netsar, well, na- Nazarene, he will be called a branch. He will be called the shoot that's come from Jesse. How do we know that Jesus is the Christ? Because, well, he's, yeah, he's in the line of David. He, he comes from a better source. He has the, the right root. He, he comes forth from the Holy Spirit. He's anointed from um, his birth, and he would be called, this is what he's saying, the, the Nazarene. He would be called the, the one who comes up and brings life, and he's the source of his own life. And he comes and he brings life out of judgment and out of darkness and out of bleakness. And so this is meant to, to paint uh, an amazing picture for us. The branch, literally the shoot, the netzar, is what we're called by the, the Hebrews or Jews today. If you go to Israel, they don't call those that believe in Christ a Christian, they call them netzarines because you came out of this shoot, this, this stock, and, and you grew into some other different thing than they think of. But here's the deal. In, in farming terms, in agricultural terms, this um, doesn't usually come up out of the stump. It comes out, out of the side or out of the roots. You know, you kind of see it. And, and generally, it wouldn't come up from a stump at all because a, a stump, once it's dead, it, it doesn't produce new life out of it. So in that, in itself, you have that miracle. But, but here's the thing. If, if you wanted to transplant this tree, you could transplant a netzar. And then whatever soil you planted that in, it would grow into that tree. It would produce the fruit from which it came. It would make that same species the same. And so here's the picture. That the netzar that came up from a different source and a different light and a different root, a different life and a different root. And different merit, when we come to it and accept it as the miracle of life for us, it bears fruit in us. And it raised up for us. It says not just for those who were cut off, but for all the nations, for everyone. So why do we light the Christmas tree? (laughs) We light it to remind us of that truth you you might feel like ah that didn't that didn't blow my mind <laughs> we're so used to the idea that god came and put on flesh that that's not a big deal to you but it's everything without that there is no hope for life it's just the dead stump Hail the incarnate deity, that's that's Christ, who's come, he's put on flesh for us, that if we come to him in faith, that he will bear fruit, bear life in us. So, are you searching for hope, or life, or light? This only comes through one single right tree. If you're looking in like a, a forest of stumps, it's hard to know which tree is the right tree. Even if you're searching in a forest of trees, it's hard to know which is the right tree. But if there's only one tree that qualifies, there's only one one tree that meets the right conditions, that that has the right standards, that that is able to do what Isaiah is talking about here, which is produce life from itself, that's worthy of our time and worthy of our thought. So God promises to bear life in us through this same way.
1: rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn fall on your knees oh hear the angels voice says down oh, O night when Christ was born, O night divine. No longer will the sun be your light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shine on your night. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your splendor. Your sun will no longer set, and your moon will not wane. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your sorrow will cease. Then all your people will be righteous, they will, be, they will possess the land forever. They are the branch of my planting, the work of my hands.